You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, doing our best to play a part in a healthy ecosystem between art, criticism, and fandom. All it takes is some imagination and a little science, and we can make the Disney animated canon a better place. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today we're going to keep moving forward as we look at the 47th film in the canon, 2007's Meet the Robinsons. Most people list this movie as the last in the post-Renaissance or near-miss era of the Disney canon, as we've been calling it here on the podcast. I think you could argue it's the first in the revival era, era, the revival era, (laughs) but with the caveat that this movie looks like a step towards a future that never was, because during its development, Disney famously bought Pixar, reorganized the entire Disney animation studio. Maybe we'll get into all that, maybe not. Either way. Someone to help us with that is Michael Farmer. Pop quiz, Michael. Who have you met and what have you learned? <laughs> I couldn't. Um, I've, I've seen this movie twice and I still couldn't tell you the uh, family tree of the Robinsons. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of flies by in the movie. So I had to I had to look it up online to to, to try and make sense of it all. But, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, it, it shows Lewis's intelligence, I guess, that he gets it all right away. Yeah, he, he really does. Like, I'm, I'm not sure the relationships forever actually explain to him. I think he, he just kind of pieces them together. Yeah. It's also not very important. It's just a... a no, that's absolutely a, right. A, a cast of zany characters. None of none of those characters has any real importance to the, to the movie. I mean, very few of them do. Yeah. Wilbur and kind of Franny. And kind of Carl. Other than that, they're they're all just uh, set dressing. Uh, delightful yeah. set dressing, though. Delightful, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I like the uh, I like the meatball cannon brother. I don't remember his name, but he's pretty pretty funny. So I would That'd definitely say that this is part of the next era, the rec- you, the recovery era. Is that what you called it? I would not call this a near miss. I think this is a pretty solid hit. It's not an all time classic, but I think it's a it's a good movie, and um, certainly in comparison to the last four or five movies we've watched. Yeah, I think it's it's. Uh, I agree. It's 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 more it's closer to where they're going in the sense of just the the quality of the movie, the enjoyability of it and all of that. Um, as I said in the intro there, like uh, Disney, Disney bought Pixar in 2006. This movie came out in 2007. So it was already well into development. Um, 
one of the one of the articles I read said maybe John Last John Lasseter saw it and had some notes. Maybe about sixty percent of the movie was redone after his notes, which seems like a lot to me. But it's not the same as you know um, him kind of going all the way through a production process, which. I think I want to say Tangled is the first one that he's there, like beginning to end. I think Bolt was also already a little bit into um, production, but uh, yeah, much much Bolt was much less so than this one. And then I think by the time we get to Tangled, he's he's pretty much seen overseen movies from beginning to end. I believe that's correct. You can if if anybody knows better or different, they can they can write into us or I may figure out something different by the time we get to those movies and are talking about them. But I'd be interested in knowing what this movie looked like before he asked for the rewrites, because there is a pretty serious um, change in tone in the last third of the movie. It goes from this like wild, quirky comedy to this, this very dark dystopian future. I mean, and you can pinpoint the moment too, right? It's the moment that Doris is, uh, electronic tentacle goes through Carl's chest. It's like the whole movie yeah. <laughs> takes this horrible turn at that point. And I wonder if it that does. was in the original or if, because um, it, it's not an unPixar turn, right? Like there's mm-hmm. there, there are these, those moments of of real darkness in Pixar movies, and I wonder if that's something that Lasseter introduced to it or if it was part of the movie from the beginning. I would say you're probably right on that because. I believe if I I think I have it still open here in front of me. Um, it's basically, um, yeah, the the when Lester came in, uh, he didn't he didn't feel like the villain was uh, threatening enough. Was was the main thing. So um, that that what what you're saying there about the the darker turn does make sense. So suddenly the suddenly the villain, until that point, the villain is. Um, Goob or Michael Goob, whatever his name is. Grabowski. Bowler hat guy. <laughs> Bowler hat guy. Um, but you don't realize you you kind of get glimpses that the bowler hat is the one who's really in control, but you don't you don't understand the the stakes until Bowler Hat really steps in and takes over and 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 uh, as you said, she she tentacles uh, um, Carl the robot. So yeah, which which is really what I mean that that's the moment when the movie really comes together as a movie. Um, I'm not sure it's my favorite part of the movie, but it's the part where the the plot really gets tied together in a way that it hadn't been for the first two thirds of the movie. So it seems like a good thing, even though the the whiplash is is substantial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a it is a bit of a but yeah. Whiplash, I think, is a good word, good term for it, because it's it's it is a it's a pretty sudden sudden twist. My wife and I were watching it a couple nights ago before we showed it to the kids, and she was like, "Wow, it just got really intense here, didn't it?" <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and it's a little. Uh, I think I think you said that that's where the movie kind of comes together. I feel like that that takes me out of the movie a little bit it every every time travel movie has to deal with this uh to some extent like you're rewriting the future as you're as you're living or moving through the future right and so um i mean back to the future has to deal with this as well and that's one of my and yours i know like all-time favorite movies so it's not it's not a it's like not a movie breaker but it's one of those things where you leave kind of scratching your head like well wait a second you know like 
if you know if Doris has rewritten the the future here, then you know why is he still with the time machine <laughs> in the future? You know, like like what exactly is happening? How's he? Yeah, right, how, how, right. How, I mean, some something yeah. in a time travel movie has to be kind of um, uh, time travel proof. You know, yeah. Otherwise, why doesn't Marty just kill Doc when he goes back to 1955, and then he'll never invent the time machine, and uh, Marty will get sucked back to 1985? <laughs> would he, though? Is that what would happen? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> wow, talk about a dark turn. Man, I'm feeling whiplash on this podcast, Michael. <laughs> well, I do what I can. <laughs> So, but that, I mean, that's fine. That, that's part of the genre, and I and I still love the genre. So, like, it's it's no it's no big deal. I think I think that's honestly it's one of the appeals of the genre. Like, there's there's something kind of you know like uh you know in music they call it an earworm where you kind of like get a song stuck in your head, and sometimes that means the song's great, and sometimes that means that the song is just appropriately catchy in such a way that it that it kind of burrows its way into your brain um and like there's just nothing you can do about it you know i i feel like that with some plot contrivances and time travel in particular like there's there's almost an element of if it wasn't that way it wouldn't burrow its way into your brain as much you know how like your imagination kind of stays with with a movie or with a book or whatever um and so there's there's almost a sense in which those those cracks or those holes in the in the in the plot make it more appealing in a strange way i don't know if if i'm making my point clearly but sure it lets you it lets you kind of dwell and imagine you know your own your own versions of it a little bit and that and that kind of makes it appealing in a way nobody handled it better than bill and ted where they just completely they call attention to how ridiculous it is ted don't forget <laughs> to rewind your watch or like why would why would the change take place slowly like even over the course of 15 seconds wouldn't it wouldn't it happen immediately as soon as they go back in time i don't know right but yeah. I, I mean, like like you say, that's a flaw with time travel movies. It's not a flaw with this movie in particular. Yeah, yeah. Bill and Ted's is the best when they're when they're trying to figure out how to get the keys, and they and they say, "Hey, when we're done with the keys, let's just put them behind this rock over here." <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then they go over to the rock, and there they are, you know. Right. Yeah. They don't even the, the stakes are so low in that movie that they can do that, and nobody will care. The stakes are a little higher in this movie, I would say. <laughs> Yeah. So we kind of jumped straight to the end <laughs> of the movie. We're time traveling. We, we, yeah, we are. We never take our movies chronologically. We do the, We take the canon chronologically, but we never take the movies that way. Part of it is that we don't have any kind of plan when we go in. <laughs> we just kind of talk. As I'm sure our listeners have picked up on. Yeah. But anyway, I did. I liked this movie... Um, a lot, and I I liked it when I saw it before. I really liked it when I saw it just after Chicken Little, which was such a terrible movie. Um, and I really really liked it watching it just after Chicken Little and Home on the Range. It doesn't exactly feel like Disney's back. This feels like it could have been a Pixar movie more than a Disney movie, I think. But um, it it is a it's a very good movie. Yeah, 
I think I stand by what I said in our Lilo and Stitch episode of like, this is the last Disney movie that really, really feels like a quirky director got ahead, got somehow got green lighted to do a movie and did it. Like, it doesn't feel um, formulaic in the way that I think what we're going to see moving forward is. And I don't mean formulaic in the, in necessarily a bad way. I know it's often used slanderously, but I just mean like the movies moving forward are going to feel a little more like they're, they're designed to, to do what they do and they're going to do it very well. Like, and that's how Pixar movies feel also, you know, and that's to some extent how Marvel movies feel also, you know, like there, there's a, Unlike this show, there's a definite plan of like, we know what works and we know how to execute what works and we're just going to do that, you know? Um, and this movie feels a little more like, yeah, go, you know, go figure it out, like um, prototype it and, and fail a few times and, and that's okay, you know, like to kind of go along with the theme of the movie. Yeah. I, and you're right. I, th- I think to connect it to Lilo and Stitch and to, um, Emperor's New Groove. It doesn't. It's not anything like either one of those movies, but it is weird the way those two movies are weird. Yeah, this this movie is very weird. <laughs> That's actually my my daughter, uh, uh, the uh, the nine year old. You know, she she knows doing this for the podcast, and she's like, "You should say." This is a really weird movie. <laughs> it is a really weird movie. Your daughter's right. So, yeah. I, well, I mean, it, it might be it might be helpful to try to describe the ways in which it's weird. Because I mean, I think if you, when I think about this movie, the part I remember is that bizarre. 20 minute sequence that the movie's named after right the, where you actually do go through the robinson household and meet all these weird people who i was going to say they're straight out of central casting but they're not because they're not really cliches because they're all like there is a man i i suppose his wife has died and he has replaced her with a hand puppet i i guess that's what's going on but it's played for laughs mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a guy who's a superhero who delivers pizzas Mm-hmm. There's a guy who, for no reason, wears all his clothes backwards and calls attention to it, but doesn't explain it. No, Michael, his clothes aren't on backwards. His head is. That's right. <laughs> right. And then, for I mean, in a way that is not explained at all, there's a series of, like, Rat Pack-style talking and singing frogs mm-hmm. that have... <laughs> I, I was going to say they have nothing to do with the movie, but actually, out of all the Robinsons, they're the ones who tie into the main plot the most. But it's it's just a bizarre sequence that is completely gratuitous. You could cut it out of the movie, and the movie would still make total sense. And yet, you would be a fool to cut it out of the movie because it's so much fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. the 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 frog scene is is my favorite of that of that whole sequence that you're that you're talking about. <laughs> because they come in there and she says, "Oh, you're just in time. We need somebody to play the maracas." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the kind of uh you're right that is that is the weirdness of the movie is that that particular sequence where you're going through and um 
Yeah, it's it's almost like what's behind every you know every door, and you're like opening these doors into very very bizarre bizarre things are but happening. That's kind. That's one thing that's weird about this movie, but it's not the like the total substance of the weirdness of this movie. I mean, uh, another piece is that the the main bad guy, the bowler hat guy, Goob, as you say, is completely ineffectual. He's kind of terrifying looking, but as the movie goes on, he just gets sadder and sadder until ultimately he is the heart of this movie, right? Like the 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 most emotionally wrenching scene in the movie is when you realize that this guy has completely ruined his life for no reason, and there's nothing um, there's nothing Lewis can do about it except go back and completely change his his past. Like that's brutal. Um, and, and like this guy is introduced as a, as a simultaneous, like terrifying presence and comic relief. And by the end of the movie, he is the heart of the movie. Hmm. So that's bizarre. That is bizarre. And I hadn't thought about it that way of him being the heart of the movie, but I think, yeah, I think you make a good point there that, that he is definitely a, a sympathetic character. That, that scene and... where Lewis picks up his binder, which is a child's binder, right? It's got a picture of a cartoon unicorn on it. And so already yeah. you've, you've got this 45-year-old man carrying around this child's binder. And it's his to-do list. And everything is crossed off. And there's just a question mark. Like, what does he do with his life? And the reason is because he spent his entire life trying to not even make up for this horrible thing that happened to him. No doubt it was horrible. But just completely unwilling to move past it I, like that that's the part that feels the most lassitarian to me that that feels like a pixar beat mm. yeah because he's the i think what you just said there like unwilling to move past it is and i mean this this is pretty explicit in the movie when when lewis has his his conversation with the bowler hat guy like you have to let go of the past and keep moving forward, right? Which is the whole theme of the movie. But it's interesting in this movie that they don't only show you the the positive effects of their theme, but they also show you the the negative effects of their theme. But the the negative effects of their theme are not the terrifying sequence, right? The ter- the terrifying sequence is a whole different thing. Like the negative effects of of not moving forward is. Um, it's it's not depressing exactly i mean it is depressing but it's 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 like that heart it's there's a there's a sympathy with it right you know right yeah i mean there's there's lots of moving parts of the movie i think um but that that scene with the uh with the unicorn binder i think is the is, is the part that really got me i mean I, and i had remembered i saw this maybe five years ago and I had remembered that uh, the bowler hat guy is Goob. No, I, hopefully our listeners watch these movies before they listen to it. Because this is <laughs> one of the few Disney movies where there's a really big spoiler, right? Like you could, you could, uh, you could really ruin this movie for someone if they didn't know that uh, if they didn't know that the bowler hat guy was Goob. Because it, I remember right. it shocked me the first time. Yeah, my uh, my 11 year old figured it out when your 11 year old uh... is much smarter than me. <laughs> no, I don't know about that, but like um, at the when I mean she figured it out when um, Bowler Hat Guy meets Goob uh-huh. is the is the point where because, she because it he out. never tells him that he just played baseball and the Bowler Hat Guy knows it, right? Yeah, and his his eyes get all big and watery and you know like he's supposed to be the bad guy but he cares about this kid and then and then he tells him 
<laughs> the worst thing you could possibly tell somebody. No. Everybody's going to say, let it go, <laughs> but don't let it fester. <laughs> well, and then, and then there's the, when he's explaining what happened to him, there's the scene where he says, and, uh, it's like nobody, nobody wanted to be my friend, but in the, in the actual scene, everybody is trying to be his friend. Yes. It's, it's really I, sad. It's very sad. I think that's also like, oh, that, I, I think that part was so great though, because there's like, uh, there's a sense of that's what happens, you know, yeah. like when you get stuck in, I mean, and we all have. Yeah. Yeah. You, negative, you, you see yourself a certain thought. way and, and you project that onto other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's terrifying because there is a, there is a real, um, there's a real way that you can be trapped in the darkness in that way. Like, uh, the, um, the the sermon at, at church this morning was on Psalm 107, which which is about that, like the, you know, so, like some were trapped in darkness and, um, but God, you know, freed them from it. But like when whenever I read that passage, I always think of the dwarves in uh, the last battle, um, which in in the in the at the end of the last battle, um, when Aslan comes and and basically makes you know the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the dwarves walk through the door and. Um, but they, they can't see it. They're still in the dark. And so they sit in, they're, they're, they're sitting in lush grass and the sun shining and stuff, but they, they think that they're still in the, the, the dark shed that they walked into, you know, and they say the dwarves are for the dwarves and, and there's just no breaking their, their, their perception, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it always makes me think of, uh, Milton Satan, uh, I myself am hell. You know, like like the 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 punishment for the way you live is kind of the the character you create for yourself and how you live it. Now, I mean, again, this this horrible thing happened to Goob. He didn't choose this, but in a certain way, he did because he just couldn't get past it. And mm-hmm. you you almost can't blame him because, like you said, we've all been there, right? Like this is a thing. This is a thing we all do. Most of us don't do it. <laughs> don't do it quite to the level he did. But it's it's totally understandable. Like I like I said, I think that's the that's the Pixar beat. That that Lassiter must have had something to do with that because it, it feels so um, human in the way those Pixar movies feel human. Where it's not about it's not about talking down to children. You know, there's this this there's this deep adult darkness at the center of that and the Pixar folks don't don't care if a five-year-old gets it because they trust that a five-year-old will get it. Right. We really, yeah, I mean, we really, once we run out of these movies, we should really do the Pixar movies. That's probably true. Yeah. But yeah, the Pixar, I mean, the Pixar guys famously, like, I, I feel like they say it all the time, you know, like we just make movies that we want to watch, <laughs> you know, like we're not necessarily making movies for any specific demographic, but we just, we just make what we want to see. And one, and that, that seems true of this movie. It's not, it, I don't feel like it's beating me over the head with a message. I don't feel like it's pandering to me. I don't feel like it's chasing some other movie the way the last couple have felt like they were chasing Shrek. I just feel like this movie, this movie has some sort of connection to the truth of the human condition. And it's got, it's got a, a, a really weird big idea at its core and it, it has fun making the movie and and that's something we haven't been able to say since gosh probably since lilo and stitch wouldn't you say 
Mm-hmm. That was the last movie that felt joyous the way this one feels joyous. But, yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, but what's interesting, right, is that that joy is not mutually exclusive with the sadness of the of the Goob character. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I wonder if they could have found a way to make Lewis internalize his part of that a little a little better. Um, I I I don't get the feeling that Lewis really blamed himself for what happened to Goob, even though in a real sense it is his fault, right? That this this amazing invention that he, he has come up with really did ruin the kid's life um, in unforeseen ways, but I, I, I feel like the, movie's, the movie doesn't uh, interrogate that the way that I wish it would, and, and that, that um, kind of feeds into some, some other problems I have with the philosophy of this movie that we can talk about later. But I, I do wish that Lewis had internalize some of that darkness a little bit more instead of seeing it as Goob's problem. Yeah. Although, in fairness, <laughs> he's, he's 12. Right. No, <laughs> that's, that's fair. To, he's talking to, a, however, I don't know how many years in the future this is meant to be. 30 I guess is what I assumed. Yeah, 30 is a good bet, you know. So he's talking to a 40-year-old, and it is a little bit like, dude, you're 40. Take take some responsibility for right, your life here. Right. And I do, I do, I am very thankful that they at least took the time to, as he's rushing back to the science fair, that he says, oh, wait, and he runs and he wakes Scoob up so that he can make the catch, you know? Like, so he he does change his, his future. I, I feel like there's a little bit of him taking some responsibility there and he says to the robinsons you have to adopt him which i I was very moved by that and i thought it was really terrific that that didn't actually happen in the movie that that it was too late for that step that that his his life had been irrevocably ruined and um even adoption by the world's happiest and quirkiest family isn't going to fix it because he's not going to let it so the only thing to do is to go back and and make this irreparable scar never happen. Mm. Which yeah. I guess doesn't um, speak terribly well for, for people who do have irrevocable, sc- uh, irrevocable scars. Yeah, there's... Yeah, I guess there's there's not a gospel hope in that one. <laughs> but a, a very, but very that, effective I mean, as yeah. a movie, certainly. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I didn't even think about that until you just said it, but there is the, there is that sense of like, um, you know, no matter how hopeless you may feel your situation is that, that actually in, in God's family, we are adopted in, you know, like all of us, regardless of our level of, uh, irrevocable hope. I mean, on the other hand, you look at, you look at like Dante's Inferno and I'm, I'm really going deep with the, uh, medieval, uh, I love medieval it. epic poems today. More, more of it, Michael. Come on. <laughs> but he, I mean, you look at you look at Dante's Inferno, and the souls in hell made themselves into what they are, and it's too late to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, there, there there is a sense in which the bowler hat guy really is in hell. He is hell. Um, he's just done it to himself. It's just that he didn't do it. He well, he did do it by sinning, right? Because despair is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's. Uh, I, I I really um 
I I wasn't struck so much by this the last time I watched the movie, but when I watched it yesterday or whenever it was I watched it sometime, sometime this weekend, um, I, I I was really um, I was really moved by that section. Yeah, oh, I think you're right. Like theologically, it it's not that he wasn't offered a adoption into the family; it was that he rejected it, yeah. which is you know like. <laughs> That's that's also the story of our, of humanity's relationship with God, you know. Like it's not that we aren't offered an adoption into the family, but there are there are those who reject it, and they yeah. Like I think Dante's Inferno is a great one. I I'm I'm reading through it right now because there's a uh, a read through Dante. Right, um, it's the 700th anniversary or whatever. Right, and uh, and I've so I've never read it before, but I'm reading through with that. But um, so. Yeah, my my wisdom on this is is not going to touch yours, but I I do think that idea is powerful. Of you know, like you are, um, yeah, you you kind of create your hell by by what you choose to do. What know? is the is it is it C.S. Lewis who says uh, the door to hell is locked from the inside? Uh, that sounds like something that he would say. It does, <laughs> although it's a very Dantean idea too. And I, 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 I think that's what's going on here, right? Like his isolation is in, it, saying it's entirely chosen is not exactly correct because it begins with something that is real that really happens to him, a tragedy that through through really no fault of his own happens to him. But after mm-hmm. that, he really does. He locks the door. He he won't let anybody. He won't let anybody in, except mm-hmm. except this robot who. He seems to be the only one he can un- who can understand what the robot. I, I refuse to call it a she because it's it's not even a it's not even a, a a person. You know, it's just a it's just a machine, albeit a machine with a with an eye to world domination. Mm-hmm. And then, like the scene when it when you when you see into his memory, and you see what happens when Doris does take over the world, and you know, he he is shocked that she didn't care about him either. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the line that got me this time was I thought she was my friend. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, that's that's hard. It's yeah. really hard. Well, and then it and just cuts off. Right. Because she's killed him. Yeah. Oh. Oh, can you imagine being this moved by anything in uh, Home on the Range or Chicken Little? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, re- I really like this movie. I remember, um, yeah, like, I-, I saw this one pretty early on, and I was like, oh, you know, like this, you know, I think I was, um, I was excited by the Disney-Pixar merger at that time, you know, and I was a, I, I mean, I, w- I was a huge fan of John Lasseter. I'm sorry that he got, you know, I'm sorry that he is a jerk, I guess. You right. know, jerk's probably not the right word for it. I'm sorry that he's... You that know, he did he's things made, that got him in trouble. Yeah, he's made his own hell as well, you know? Um, as we all do. Yeah, as we all do. But, um, but yeah, anyway, I was... I was, I remember, you know, back in the 06, 07, being, being very excited about, you know, what, what his impact on the studio was going to be and, and was excited to see this movie and was, was glad that I enjoyed it and it was good. And, and I'm, I'm glad to see that it holds up all this time later when i was watching it i thought of it as a sci-fi alice in wonderland but yeah um, especially that middle section 
where you meet all these characters who have really no bearing on the plot whatsoever. But it's just how imaginative can we be in presenting these characters to you? And and that mm-hmm. that felt very much like Alice in Wonderland to me. Yeah. And I think there's a little nod to that in the uh, in the Robinson home when he's outside the home and there's all those uh, sculptures. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's a there's a teapot <laughs> pouring itself into into a teacup in one of the hedges, the the hedge sculptures. And I, I wondered if that was a little uh, nod towards the Mad Hatter stable. Yeah, I um I I, I noticed that as well. Well, what this movie does that that one can't is it it has it has the emotional resonance that movie um uh, you know there's 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 a little bit of of heart to it but i i would not call that one of the more moving disney movies Mm -hmm. yeah is there is there more you want to say about the 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 parallels between the two no no because i we already we already talked about that middle sequence i should have brought it up then oh that's all right but yeah, it is very. Uh, that is the 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 zaniness of it definitely makes it feel that way. And there is a sense of like you know he 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 doesn't uh, fall down the rabbit hole, but he does get you know zapped through the wormhole. Right. <laughs> right. So. I I I just that that twenty minutes. It, I just keep coming back to the gratuity of it, how unnecessary it is for the movie, and how like wonderfully gratuitous. As opposed to the alien stuff from Chicken Little feels tacked on to me mm-hmm. and unnecessary, but not in a good way. This is gratuitous. It's it's unnecessary, but it's a gift to us. Because I mean, I'm sure it's the thing everybody remembers about this movie is that sequence where he meets all the Robinsons, which I guess is based on a very short children's book. And it's the only thing in the movie that's based on that. Yeah, I think it's it's the the author of that book gets an executive producer credit so there's there there's some way in which it's it's related to uh um a day with wilbur robinson i believe is the name of the book but i don't think i've read it by william joyce i may have when i saw the pictures for it i thought it looked very familiar to me so there could have been a time when i i looked through it um but i I don't have a have a strong memory of a day with a day with Wilbur Robinson. Yeah, you you have much more experience with modern children's books than I do. That's for sure. Yeah, I do enjoy them, and so, but they are you know I I don't have a a photographic memory of every one that I've read. <laughs> so sure. <laughs> I should look and see if it's in the uh, library of the school I used to work at. That would answer it. <laughs> if it's in the library there, then I've probably definitely read it. <laughs> I guess he I wrote know. another movie about a baseball playing dinosaur, or another book about a baseball playing dinosaur. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know much about, um, and didn't take the time to look much into uh, William Joyce and what he's done. One, well, and you notice the the high school is called Joyce Williams High School. Yeah, I did I see that. That's pretty cute. It is cute. He's got uh, a lot of books. Dinosaur Bob and his adventures with the family Lizardo. I mean, I see. I think that's why the the um, my goobs uh, baseball team is the the dinosaurs. is the dinos. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's see. I feel like there was something else I was going to say in this section, but now I'm 
Oh, we, oh would you, <laughs> speaking of like the, the gratuitousness and kind of the zany gift of the middle of this movie, um, <laughs> how do you feel about the, uh, the, um, the sudden, um, genre flip into the uh the the martial arts um badly dubbed martial arts movie i thought that was very silly but uh <laughs> you know it was fun i i don't i don't know those movies very well so i know the i know the cliche of the of the poorly dubbed martial arts movie but i've never seen any of the movies they're making fun of so yeah but uh yeah i thought it, it certainly fit in with everything else in this movie absolutely I mean, you, you had that, and then you had the switch into essentially Goodfellas, right? With the <laughs> with the frogs, yeah. with the frogs, yeah. Or like a Tarantino movie, maybe. Yeah, or some sort of Rat Pack, something. Right, and and that too. It was like, what am I watching? What is what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's he say? Oh, he's. Uh you know tiny talking frogs in their own outdoor bar <laughs> and also smartly dressed <laughs> i loved the i loved the vending machine the the fly vending machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's nice to know that uh cornelius has time to design things to make his wife happy too <laughs> that's right because that's what's the the frogs actually do have something to do with it. Because that's how you know that the little girl at the beginning is Franny, right? My my kids thought uh, it was hilarious because yeah the 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 uh, the girl at the beginning um, uh, when Wilbur runs into him <laughs> uh, or into you know like in the is at the science fair and he, he calls her the annoying little girl and they just thought that was so funny it's like that annoying little he, they, they called it he called his mom the annoying little girl <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to go back and watch that part of the movie have they called uh your wife an annoying little girl yet i, I hope not <laughs> <laughs> i guess they were they were gonna make a sequel a straight to video sequel that was about how lewis and franny got together but they decided not to which you know probably the right thing to do yeah i think the <laughs> the the again with the Lassiter coming in like i think he's he canceled all the disney tunes direct to video stuff pretty much immediately but i think it's interesting that it was already planned you know like before they even knew how successful this movie was going to be they'd already been been planning that that sequel i would watch that wouldn't you i don't, I don't watch any of those direct to video yeah, stuff true. really that's i mean true. i'm I shouldn't say none. I, I, there's there's a couple exceptions to that, but for the most part, I don't watch those. No, so. it probably would have been bad. But again, this is the I, this is the first movie since um, since Lilo and Stitch where I wanted to spend more time with these characters. Right. There's a there's a real weird sense to that though. Like, can you imagine? Like, so you're you're a twelve year old boy. And <laughs> you know who your wife is going to be, you know, because you've already met her, but she doesn't know. <laughs> right. And you, I would, I don't know about you, but I would totally get up in my head about it and worry that I would say something <laughs> wrong and the the whole future would, like Wilbur, my best friend or whatever, would cease to exist. Right. <laughs> 
But if you think about genetics, too, um, if you go back and change the slightest thing about the past, you're going to cease to exist, right? Because, but just because of um, just because of how babies are made, I don't want to get into more detail than that. But you know, it's a split <laughs> second. It's a split second thing at a certain point. So like. <laughs> If if you could go back in time, you would almost certainly you would and and you did anything that had anything to do with your family whatsoever, like even a little bit, you know, even if you like used up the peanut butter and they had to go buy another jar of peanut butter, or even had to open another jar of peanut butter where they weren't going to open one before, like that could be it for you. Don't go yeah. into the past. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Unless it's all they they kind of play with this thought in the movie, like as some time travel movies do. It was it, always like... destined to happen. Yeah, there's no other there's no other way that things can happen. So they they kind of have their cake and eat it too on that one with this one because he does wake up um, Goob, which obviously does change the future, you know. But at the same time, like when they the the way they set up the movie, if you watch the beginning of the movie um, after having seen the entire movie, when the when the mother is at the orphanage, she hears. Uh, she hears Lewis slip on the steps behind her. Oh, I'll have to go back and watch the beginning of the movie. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So like it's this it's the same noise that that Lewis makes when he when he slips, you know, at the end of the movie when he when he chooses not to not to reveal himself to her. What you think slips. of the uh what you think of the decision to have him not look at his mother's face? I think it was uh I liked it. I I I mean I think it they uh they unpack it in the next scene you know wilbur asks him flat out like why'd you do that and i think maybe a slightly deeper movie wouldn't have had the that scene <laughs> with wilbur asking yeah. him you know they would have left it a little more uh ambiguous but i like his answer you know like i i have a family i have a future i don't like his whole you know his um whatever his the orphanage director or whatever warned him about early on like you need to you need to let go of this and and look to the future, not to the past. I wonder what adoption just... people think about that. Because you know those, yeah, those I, open adoptions are so popular now. Yeah. I I, I just I, I found myself wondering that. Yeah. I, I I didn't have a huge problem with it. I thought that was I think you're right that the, it would probably have been better if it hadn't spelled that out. Uh, if they had trusted us a little more to figure out his motivation, but then they could have also gotten rid of the scene where. He says, I never thought my dad could be my best friend, which is, oh, that that line's bad enough to almost sink the movie. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> right? Like, that's a bad line. Yeah, I agree. How I agree. weird... They could have done away with that rooftop scene. How weird is Wilbur's relationship with adult Cornelius going to be now that he's, like, spent 24 hours hanging out with him as a 12-year-old? Yeah. I mean, probably not as weird as Marty McFly's relationship with his mom, but. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's something. Uh, yeah. I go, going back to was it always that way? Like when Cornelius sees Lewis, is he like, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened. <laughs> yeah, I wondered yeah. about that, too. Or Like, why does he have to ask what happened to the time machine? Shouldn't he remember <laughs> right. from 30 years ago? But I had the right. same problem with Back to the Future 3. Why is um, why is Doc in 1885 so surprised to see Marty, 
when that's the doc from 1985 and should thus have memories of 1955 doc saying he was going to send them. Did he just forget? Is he senile? Uh, or is there like a <laughs> ripple effect with the time where it takes time to actually change? I don't know. But again, I mean, these are, these are kind of global endemic problems with time travel movies. These, but these are the earworm pieces right. that I was it's, talking about. It's part of the fun talking about. You, do you know that on yeah. my, my second date, my first date, either first or second date with Victoria, we uh, worked out the timeline <laughs> from Back to the Future 2. That's great. Yeah, on a, on a cocktail napkin. <laughs> you, you redrew the one that Doc draws from Marty inside the movie. I think we went even further than that. I don't remember. This was many years ago. You know, the story ends up just being a story at a certain point. It's yeah. no longer connected to an actual memory. Of course. I mean, so maybe that's it. Maybe uh, Cornelius is just, adult Cornelius has just had so much on his mind that um, that he, uh, he it totally slipped his mind that 30 years ago he had gone into the future and seen his future self. Yeah. The other thing I, I thought they, they, they played with, and I understand why they did it, and it wasn't completely ineffective, but wouldn't somebody in that family remember that Cornelius' name is Lewis? Like, wouldn't <laughs> Bud, who gave him the name Cornelius, have remembered when he when he met this 12-year-old boy named Lewis? He knew him when he was 12 years old. Shouldn't he know what he looked like? Know. If anybody is senile in this movie, it's Bud. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although he seemed to have been wearing his clothes backwards even on his wedding day, so he was, well, it's not the clothes backwards. I know it's, it's his the... head backwards. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I wasn't going to make that joke again. I was going to say the the evidence of his uh, being senile, like he can't find the garage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> he tries to look in the toilet for the garage. <laughs> yeah. And he makes that the that line. It's it's a throwaway line, and it, it's possible to watch the movie and probably miss it, um, because they're kind of like it's like a, a fade between scenes. But he says, uh, "You think if Louis Louis Armstrong had given up, he ever would have walked on the moon?" Yeah, that's a great. That was a great. That was a great line. Although somebody um, says Louis Armstrong was a jazz musician, which I, I right, yeah, they would have been funnier if they hadn't had that. I, but I get. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you have to decide whether you're going to explain jokes to children or just letting let them get it ten years later. Right. I think the better children's movies let them get it ten years later. Yeah. I think that's what we've decided on the show. Have we talked about the line in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids where... Well, we may have talked about this on a podcast in this in this context. There's a, there's a line in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids where the guy, the teenage boy gives the teenage girl uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And Nick, the little kid, asked him where he learned to do that. And he said, he's French class. And then at the end of the movie, <laughs> Nick gets the joke and he yells, oh, French <laughs> class. And I, I was 23 years old before I got that joke. <laughs> but when I got it, it was so satisfying. If they'd spelled it out, it wouldn't have been, I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, they. I, I felt like um, I felt like they had to play with it in order to keep it from the to keep it from the viewer that this was this was Lewis in the future. They had to they had to uh, 
they had to make some of the characters unnecessarily stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they all knew the whole time and they were just playing along. No, it can't be that <laughs> no, because when no, they took right, when they took his hat off, they're all shocked. Oh, we right, can't well, adopt you now. No, yeah, they know they know the pain that it's causing him that they can't adopt him after they've just asked to adopt him. Like I think that's that's a lot of Franny's anger at Wilbur is like she knows how badly she has just hurt Lewis, like by holding that out in front of him and then immediately having it taken away. So I kind of like I would kind of like to see the version of this movie where they do adopt him. Well, actually, so there the what you're saying or what we're talking about right now, I think this is the other thing. My so my 11 year old who figured out the goob thing, she she thought during the movie, like at one point she thought, oh, maybe Lewis is actually the dad. But then she thought, no, that can't be right because they're going to adopt him. You know, like she thought that's where the movie was going was that the Robinsons are going to adopt him and, and like they couldn't adopt him. <laughs> He's the dad. And so, um, so yeah, they did it like it, it worked for her, you know, must be weird brain. though, to be raised by your future wife who's simultaneously <laughs> your age and not your age. Uh, I don't know. That's a different movie, I guess that's closer yeah. to back to the future. Yeah. Instead of your mom being your girlfriend, your girlfriend will be your mom. Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's weird, but it's not it's not weird in that way, I guess. The other the other awesome joke is that that Lewis asks what Cornelius looks like and he is told Tom Selleck. Yeah. And they completely underplay it, but Tom Selleck is actually the voice of Cornelius, <laughs> which is amazing. That's a really meta joke. Oh, it's terrific. Yeah. It, it, and like they don't they don't call attention to it at all. His name is just in the list of credits with everybody else's name. And I, I read mm. that they um they had a joke in there, they look like Tom Selleck, and then it occurred to them they should ask Tom Selleck to voice him. <laughs> That's great. And then it happened in that way, in that order. That's funny. And I guess in the foreign language versions, they do the same thing. They pick a famous person to play him. Although I, I don't oh, know really? if they change out the picture. <laughs> I hope they do. Because that's the other that's the other great thing about the Tom Selleck joke, right? Is that they use a, a photo of Tom Selleck for the family tree. Oh man. So do you know on Disney I don't know this. If you can change on Disney Plus, rather. You can change the language. Oh, and you want to know if it changes I, to the? I assume it must change the, the 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 version that you're watching as well, right? Like they don't just swap out the the audio track. If in fact they change the picture. Oh, I don't know. Now, now everybody has something to go do. Now you all have homework from us. You can go watch it in, <laughs> go, in whatever other language go, you speak. If, if you if you watch yeah if you watch Meet the Robinsons in. Uh, on Disney Plus, go go check it out. And see if see if the picture of Tom Selleck changes when you change the language. Well, here's what IMDb says. It doesn't say if it changes on Disney Plus. In the U.S. version, Wilbur tells Lewis that his father Cornelius looks like Tom Selleck, who happens to be the voice actor. In the German version, Wilbur says his father looks like Thomas Gottschalk, who happens to be the voice actor in this version. In the Latin American version, Wilbur says his father looks like. Jose Luis Rodriguez El Puma, 
In the Italian version, <laughs> it looks like Giovanni Mucciaccia. <laughs> in the Spanish version, Wilbur says his father looks like Raphael. In the Japanese version, Wilbur says his father looks like Kazuhiko Inui. I don't know who any of those people are. You're so uncultured, Michael. I know. <laughs> I mean, sure, you can talk about Dante and Milton, but I don't come know. On. I don't know Italian celebrities. <laughs> anyway, that was a that was a tremendous joke. The he looks like Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> Did you see that fake article online where? You know, I guess. This is so stupid. I guess uh, Chris Pratt is playing Mario in some movie, and this in this fake article, like this, this didn't actually happen. But in the article, he says that Mario is not going to be Italian in his in his portrayal. <laughs> He's going to be a regular person. <laughs> They're making another Super Mario movie. I think so. Okay, no lie. I had this idea the other day because you, you know, I'm a Sega kid and you're a Nintendo kid, and there is a, that horrible uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, and there's also a fairly recent um, Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I was like, maybe the next thing we should do when we're done, <laughs> we should um, should watch the uh, the based on a uh, based on a uh, video game characters. Watch Double Dragon. Do- <laughs> Mortal Kombat. I don't know if I'd want to watch every single one. Street I'm Fighter. Sure the list, I'm sure the list is incredibly wrong, but oh, Street Fighter is <laughs> an just, amazing movie. Maybe just a couple. Raul Julia's I... final movie, Street Fighter, <laughs> plays M Bison. I almost Have literally seen... choose the scenery. You've seen it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's an ama- <laughs> that's an amazing performance. Like that that's one for the ages. He knew he was dying. And he only took the movie because he wanted he wanted his kids to be able to see him in this movie. And, like, <laughs> he goes for it. <laughs> he's, he's playing a different sport than everybody else <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> Meanwhile, you got Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, barely speaks English. <laughs> as the all-American uh, military man, Guile. Oh, yeah. No, that movie's worth seeing. It's bad enough that you should watch it, even if it's, uh, even though you won't enjoy it. You will enjoy it because it's so bad. That's great. <laughs> so our listeners could let us know which one they want. That <laughs> we go through the list of video game movies, including Street Fighter or uh, the Pixar movie, because both both have been suggested on this podcast. <laughs> we should just watch Street Fighter. Like every month for six years, <laughs> until finally we just lose our minds. Okay, yeah. Where were we? Um, <laughs> it's hard to say. We were talking about the Tom Selleck gag, but I don't think I have oh, anything yeah. else to say about that. Yeah, yeah. We have a mystery on our hands now, so we will have to go check that out afterwards. Because I don't know if. I don't know how the algorithms work on Disney Plus. Like, I don't know if you'd actually have to change the region that you're watching it in. Um, yeah. Or just I, change I don't the know voice track. It does seem like if if you're changing the name in the dub, it doesn't make any sense. 
Oh, look. If the picture doesn't change also. Listeners, stand by. I am going to... I'm going to do this right now. I will fast forward to this section of Disney... of the of the movie on Disney Plus in French and see what... Well, I'm going to... I'm going to I should do one in a language that we know actually has a different person because it didn't say anything about the... Yeah, it didn't say anything about French. So, I, 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 if I watch the French, it'll be inconclusive even that's the only one I could possibly watch. Ladies and gentlemen, I've looked at the Latin American Spanish version on Disney Plus, and it says Tom Selleck. It doesn't. It, it not only does it not change the uh, not change the image, it doesn't even change the the name of the actor. So that's a bummer. That is a bummer. They totally lose the joke in Spanish because Tom Selleck. Maybe Tom Selleck does the Latin American Spanish. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> Uh, I, I hope uh, I hope right now our listeners are taking out their pen and paper and writing their congressman. <laughs> I mean, you pay what seven ninety nine a month for Disney Plus? It seems like it seems like you should get some sort of service for that. It seems like it. You know, they're adding new stuff to Disney Plus every day. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe they'll. That's true. Yeah. Maybe they'll change it. Maybe it's just a little far down on their their list of priorities. What's that? Well, certainly when the people behind Disney Plus hear this podcast, they'll they'll think twice. That's right. <laughs> they'll move it to the top of the list. <laughs> Let's get this right. So, um, I, I said earlier that I wanted to complain about something about the f- philosophy of this yeah, movie, I, and I, 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 and I, I do, which is the um, the keep the keep looking forward. I get it. I get that. I get that Walt Disney was a futurist, and I get that in a certain way that is living up his legacy. I do think it's kind of dangerous as a life philosophy, if only because who says forward is necessarily better? Like the 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 thing about the the movie, the the vision of the future in this movie is 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 a very like 1950s 1960s vision of the future, and I think it appeals to people in part. Because it's um, it's nostalgic and comfortable. It's not really a vision of the future. It's a vision of the past, and that appeals to us. So it, it seems a little bit uh, misleading to have the message of the movie be keep looking forward, when really we're looking forward by looking in a mirror in the past. Right? I, I mean, to, to the point where the centerpiece of the future is a picture of Space Mountain and a sign that says Today Land, right? right? But Space Mountain is designed around this outdated 50s vision of the future. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I way off here? No, I think there's something to what you're saying. Um, because there is always a sense of like the yeah, the 1950s version of the future is certainly not the future that we're living in. And 
Right, and if you keep looking forward without looking back, I, I just I don't know that you're going to end up in the the wonderful progressive future you think you're going to. I suspect rather you're going to end up in Doris's vision of the future. Right. Well, yeah. So I think I think if I could unpack what you're saying here, I, I feel like you've got a couple threads going. So the the one thread is the what they're actually presenting is a nostalgia, and so that kind of is a weird dissonance with the theme of the movie. That's that's one thread. But then the the other thread that you're talking about is a kind of blindly only looking ever to the future without consulting the past is is a very dangerous thing and and probably even uh um there's a there's a the totalitarianism of of Doris's vision of the future it it it, it is possible because of the, like, like you've blinded yourself to everything else, right? <laughs> there's only, there's right. Only one, right. there's only one path forward and there, there is a certain totalitarianism to that. Right. It's, it, it also seems weird to me that we're honoring the future by quoting a man who died 40 years ago. It's, you know, that's not looking forward 40 years ago when the movie comes out. Right. Yeah, there, 55 years ago now. Yeah. And there is that weird... So this is the... You know, I mentioned last week that the... You know, Disney went through this weird um, stage of, like, all the castles looked different for each movie for a little while. And that's over now. Like, now we've reached the... I believe it may be slightly different. They may have updated it some in, in the past, uh, you know, 15 years or whatever since this movie came out. But, like we're basically at the the opening Disney castle now that we're all familiar with, you know, with the, you know, the train running through the background and the river and the, the fireworks and all that stuff. Um, and the, the, um, the, the Mickey mouse whistling, uh, is the specific to the Disney animation. So, you know, every movie that Disney produces, whether it's, you know, a Marvel movie or a Pixar movie or whatever gets the Disney castle, but then each studio has their own thing. And the, the Disney animation studio opens with that, that whistling Willie. And so I think there's a little bit of, of that tension, even within the studio as John Laster returns and, and like he's, he's the one that brings those, those changes. And, and it's almost, there is that kind of reach, you're wanting to return to you're wanting to return the studio to a past glory, you know? And so you're nodding at the, the past with the, you know, the, 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 the Willie, the steamboat Willie and stuff. Um, and the, you know, the pages flipping and it, and it looks like it's hand drawn and stuff. So you're, so you're nodding towards that even as you're trying to shape a new trajectory into the future. And so I, I feel like, I feel like that is the more healthy tension that you're, that you're Agreed. saying, right? Like you, there needs to be this healthy tension between you're looking to the past, you're honoring the past, but you've, you've got to set your own trajectory. You can't just, you can't just live there. You know, you can't just live. Which, which ironically, the movie does it much better than it suggests we do it. I think Yeah. the movie does not just keep looking forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even so Cornelius, I, I, even Cornelius has that very first invention in his laboratory still, 
you know? Right. <laughs> like, right. so yeah, if you were truly like keep moving forward all the time, then, then you wouldn't, you know? Uh, and I mean, maybe I'm just, um, maybe I'm being purposefully obtuse about the, about what the movie's trying to say, but, um, just, just given our, our culture's kind of impulse toward forgetfulness, I, 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 I couldn't get quite on board with the phrase, keep looking forward. Yeah. I think there is a... Keep moving keep, forward. Yeah, keep moving me. forward. Although, I mean, if what you're talking about is not so much the progress of societies as it is don't let don't let bad things keep you down, like, that seems fine. Like, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, it's a, is it an individual level or is it a societal level, you know? Obviously, Lewis is... Lewis has such a big, or Cornelius rather, you know, like has such a big impact on the future of all society that his personal decision to keep moving forward affects all of that, you know? But I do think there's a real sort of like, you know, in our modern day where it's, you know, the argument, the, there's like, there's literally like signs you post in your yard that say we believe in science or whatever, you know, where like right. science has stopped becoming like science has stopped being whatever it was. And it's this new thing where it's like a stand in for, I, I don't even know. I don't know. I, I haven't thought this through well enough to talk about it, but like in this movie, science is this, is this kind of idealistic, like we're like, like failure happens and we learn from failure and the the thing that we learn from failure is how to just keep improving and improving, improving, improving. It's it's you know scientific progress is always an improvement. It's it's always just going this way. And I used to actually show that sequence to my fifth graders um, when we were doing um, because we you know we I, I taught a unit in science on like how to make models and design things and stuff like that you know. And so I th I think there's there's a way in which it's positive and it's right. But philosophically, what you're saying, you know, there is a danger in thinking, well, just because I'm I'm moving forward, it's necessarily better than whatever the past was. And, and so therefore, I can ignore the past, which, you know, gets us to a point where nobody reads Dante anymore or nobody reads Milton anymore. And I think, you know, our, our discussions of, of, you know, Dante and Milton was like the, the richest part of this episode, probably, you know, like like there's the. Some, sometimes, you know, what what people in the past understood of of humanity and and stuff is, is exactly what we need for our, our modern ills. Well, and even in terms of technological progress, which is the sort of progress this movie seems to be mostly concerned with, uh, it might be that it's not all good. That like some technological progress doesn't need to happen. And to its credit, the movie does eventually understand that, right? Because it has him say, "I'm never going to invent Doris." Mm. That's right. Um, <laughs> He's never going to invent the algorithm. This is great. <laughs> oh man, wouldn't it be great if you could go back and convince somebody not to, not to invent whatever social media? I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you would, what what technology you would say is it is most at the root of our social ills in 2021. No, but there is a real, oh, there's a real sense, and actually, it's interesting. This movie's a little prophetic in a in a very strange way, right? Because it's the it's the AI, but it's the AI that also like takes over your your 
your brain in some way, you know, like, like she's a hat instead of uh, just a newsfeed or whatever, you know, but there is a real sense in the way that, you know, algorithms and, and social media and all that stuff have actually changed the way that we think, <laughs> like we can't think the same way that we used to. And, or, and when you're deep in it, you know, like there, there's a real sense of the, the way that, that, that it twists your psychology. And this is a very like literal look at that with with the hats, you know, coming down over the eyes and and rewiring the brain somehow. <clears throat> right. So I mean, maybe it's um. All is a help. Maybe it's more. <laughs> right. Like that's what they are. They're they're helpers. They're helping us do things in a more efficient way or whatever. Super. Maybe it's a. Maybe it's 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 a it's a more critical look at progress than i initially thought it was yeah well it's the and this is the problem that we've we've discussed this in in a slightly different context before you know like it's it's the problem with like uh akuna matata in the middle of the lion king or um uh oh what's the one in the jungle book you know uh bare necessities or whatever you know like there's a real sense in like those are the most memorable parts of the movie, but they're actually counter to what the actual theme of the movie is. Right. You know? And so there's, there's a sense in like, keep moving forward is one of the most memorable things in this movie, even to the point that they tie it to that Disney quote at the very end. And I think very effectively, like, I think that, yeah, like I, like you said, like, I don't think it's a necessarily an all bad message, you know, like there's, a, there's a positive side to the message, but it is, uh, there's like a surface level version of the message. And then there's like what the, like a close watching the movie actually reveals version of the message. And I think a close watching the movie version is probably closer to the version that we would, you know, we get on board with and ascribe to than just somebody who, you know, to keep moving forward as their own slogan for their personal life and, and just ran with it. Like somebody who, I mean, I, I see it on <laughs> on bumpers of cars. I've seen Akuna Matata <laughs> or whatever bumper stickers. And it's like, ah, you didn't you didn't quite get the the actual uh, actual thing of the movie there. Some worries, dude. Some worries. <laughs> I mean, but it it seems to me that this movie imagines that. Um, keep keep moving forward is the is the message that that's the difference like it if you watch the lion king in its entirety it becomes clear that hakuna Matata is not not what the movie's promoting but this movie at the very least imagines that it's promoting um keep moving forward yeah i don't know i'm just um i'm just uh i get a little antsy when 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 people start talking about progress and, and you know it, probably i'm a reactionary about it probably uh probably i need to i need to move a little further in the other direction but yeah well it's, that irked me a little bit it's easy to be reactionary right now <laughs> that's true yeah that's true yeah I think this is a really, I honestly, like, I do think that I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this conversation up because I do think there's a real sense in like there. It's hard to know, like, um, I think there's a, there's a real, like for me personally, like 
I read a really good book in the past year called The Presence of God, which is about, you know, just being um, like the, the only time that really truly exists is is the moment that you're in. You know, you know, like the past, the past exists in the sense that it influenced you to get here. But like, if you spend all of your, if you spend all of your time thinking there, then, you know, like that, that's one side of the tightrope to fall off of and you end up as, as goob. Right. And then there's the other side to fall, fall off of where you're only always thinking about the future and you're not thinking about like the present and, you know, this this moment and how you can glorify and serve god in the in this moment right um so there, there's an appeal to that idea but then there's also you know alan jacobs who i just mentioned who who wrote the you know the book breaking bread with the dead and and his whole thing is like he's fighting the what he sees as this modern day presentism i think is what he calls it you know where it's uh-huh. like the the past completely doesn't matter at all and i think these these two ideas are not necessarily in conflict with each other. I think they're, they're different. Like they're, they're approaching different things, you know, like um, how you spend your thought life, (laughs) you know, uh, on the one hand does affect your spirituality, you know, like your, your thoughts do affect your spirituality. Um, But you can, in, in, uh, Alan Jacobs talks about it as uh, temporal bandwidth. Like you can, you can expand, the depth of your thought life by by being aware of you know dante and milton and and you know whatever other you know ri- the the richness of you know of of the human past you know um so yeah i think yeah this is yeah that, that makes that makes sense to me that you yeah you need both sides yeah because I, I don't think they're talking about the same thing, but there is an there there's an interesting tension there because they're using the same words, you know, like we only have the words like past, present, and future, you know, and so like when when the one on the one hand when you're saying you're saying like focus on the present, and you're talking about your 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 a spiritual a spiritual practice of focusing on the present, and the other one is talking about you know don't don't be trapped in the present in the sense of you know there's a there's a tininess to that, you know, like there, that's the, you know, there, there's a blinders on aspect of that, that you, that you don't want, you know? Um, but there, yeah. Anyway, sometimes I, I, I worry that when I, when I get into these things that I haven't thought through enough that it, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what I'm saying. No, it, make, it does make sense. <laughs> it does make sense. You're not being fair to yourself as usual. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that is the uh, <laughs> that is my version of the uh, walking down the hall and saying everyone hated me, right? When when people say yeah. cool binder and, and uh, you want to come hang out of my house. <laughs> cool binder. <laughs> should we uh, we should talk a little bit about the music in the movie. Yeah, I uh, was was very underwhelmed by the score, and I was surprised to see it was Danny Elfman because it seemed kind of generic. Yeah. Um, the main theme reminded me very much of the main theme from Home Alone, the the John Williams score from yeah, Home Alone. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. I'm glad to see I wasn't the only one. 
you know, it, it is late November, so I've got Home Alone on the mind. Right. No, I thought I thought so too. What the the one that's playing like over like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a there's a bubbly song near the you know I think in the, like the future era when like they're going in the future that's uh, not as good as his best work and like. Uh, it reminded me of his. It, 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 it sounded more like Danny Elfman and sounded more like, uh, you know, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the, the one that he did, not not Willy Wonka, but you know, not yeah, the original yeah, the Willy Wonka, but the, yeah, the one with Johnny Depp. Um, and so that, it that was more where it's like, oh, then now it's starting to sound a little more like Danny Elfman, but that's so fun. Yeah, I was I was really surprised that it was him because it was such a generic score. Yeah. And the music too. Um, I nothing, nothing really, uh, nothing really jumped out at me. Yeah. I know that the the I read that the Rob Thomas song was a big hit. Which one's the Rob Thomas song? Little Wonders. Hmm. I have to go back and listen to it. I guess. Did you have Did you have anything you would want to add about the uh, the soundtrack? No, just I I, th- I think I'm in agreement with you. Like I, I, in general, I feel like I'm a Danny Elfman fan, but this one was a little underwhelming for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I used loved uh, I loved uh, Tim Burton when I was in high school, and I I've cooled on his movies. I don't really like them that much anymore. But the you you have to admit that the scores are always very uh, distinctive. Mm-hmm. Like he, Elfman has a a style that is interesting, and this ain't it. Yeah, as the young people say. Yeah. I I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't bothered by the the pop music over the montages. I know. That... Oh, I wasn't either. I thought the, the songs weren't anything to write home about, but it was not annoying the way uh, it has been. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was it was it was better done this time. So it didn't pull me right out of the movie like they sometimes do. Hmm. But all in all, I um as I said, I I think this was a, a hit. I think this was a good movie. A, a you know B B B plus, not not top tier, but a. A good movie, and certainly better than the last five movies we've watched for this podcast. Yep. I think we are we are on an upswing, and and that's good. Um, we made it through. <laughs> we did, yeah. <laughs> and surprisingly fast. Like I, th- I think that's the other thing that you know I've talked before about, like the way you know you're my 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 internal narrative of of the disney era is a little different is a little different than the reality when you actually sit down and watch them all back to back you know like it was only earlier this year that we were watching dinosaur you know <laughs> like, right yeah, that's it true. wasn't like this huge huge long stretch of of flops because we had a lot that we that we liked in there you know since dinosaur like we both liked uh, Emperor's New Groove. We both like Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. And it, well, in terms of the the 
unwatchable ones, it's really only two in a row, right? It's just Home on a Range and Chicken Little. And then Dinosaur, I would say, is also pretty close to unwatchable. Yeah. Uh, although not as bad as Home on a Range or Chicken right. Little. And I, I actually um, disagree with you on Chicken Little, so... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah you're a big Chicken Little fan. <laughs> I am. It's not a video podcast, so our <laughs> listeners can't see that Josh's entire room is decked out in Chicken Little merchandise. Just since last month. Look at all that I've... Yeah, I've it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I would think you'd have better things to spend your money on. Well, but... a lot of it was sent in by fans of the show. <laughs> I didn't mean to shame you. <laughs> I'm not shamed. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find chicken little merch <laughs> i bet it is i bet it is i bet you gotta get onto some dark corridors of the web <laughs> <laughs> you have to get your own time machine before they before they buried all the uh all the chicken little merch i'm looking on ebay just for kicks for for what what sort of chicken little things i can find <clears throat> i imagine it's hard to search for because it is a you know it's a well-known story Oh, Josh, you can get the complete set of eight McDonald's Happy Meal <laughs> Chicken Little Toys for only twenty eight ninety nine plus eight fifty shipping. Yeah. That's a good deal. Wow. Think of the think of the little scene you could set up with all eight of them. <laughs> oh man. Do they still you're you're in a position to answer this better than I am, I suspect. Do they still like put Disney toys in Happy Meals? Yeah, like right currently, like there's like a big it's like the fiftieth anniversary of something. Disneyland? Disney World Disney World. Disney World. Yeah, it's the fiftieth anniversary of Disney yeah, World. Yeah. So my so honestly, I have not been to McDonald's I think since we left China. <laughs> What a what a what an odd but my, uh, s- scenario. <laughs> yeah, but my parents, uh, my parents took one of my daughters there on a, you know, they they take the kids on dates, and they went and got a happy meal, and they came home, and she had a Goofy that looked very much like the Goofy from the Goofy movie, and I was like, is there a new Goofy movie coming out? So I, I looked it up to see what the McDonald's toys were advertising right now, and that's what it is. Yeah, fiftieth anniversary of Disney World. So. You want to talk about a little scene that you could set up. There's there's a huge number of current McDonald's toys. It's I, I don't know. I I bet there's 50 of them probably. Well, well, I'm getting a Happy Meal tomorrow. There you go. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if there's nothing else to say, I suppose we're uh, we're done with our <laughs> conversation about. <laughs> About Meet the Robinsons. We right. got off topic enough that it might seem that we don't like the movie. Because usually yeah, it's true. when we don't like the movie that we talk about a million other things. That's true. We kind of went all over the place today. But I think that's appropriate for this movie. Really, uh, I really liked it. I really liked Meet the Robinsons. I do too. I'm a, if, if our listeners for some reason have not seen this, this is this is one they should watch. If they, if they associate it with that dark era of Disney movies, don't do that anymore. It was a big flop, you know. Well, it made money at least. I think. I think it at least made money. My understanding is Disney has never released the budget of the movie, so it's hard to tell if it made oh, money. Oh, okay. That may be true. Which makes me think it probably did not make money. Yeah. The director but, The director of this movie 
is uh, so it says. Oh, yeah. Never mind. I'm not going to try and read gigantic numbers because they're they're useless. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if the movie made money or not. I will say though that the director of this movie also directed or co-directed rather um, Winnie the Pooh. So that's the next time that we'll see him. And the last time we'll see him, it looks yeah, like. Yeah, he's still at the. He seems to still be with Disney. Yeah, he he does like story stuff, and he's not writing and he's not directing, but he's doing some yeah. things. Yeah, creative leadership it says on a. Whatever that means. Yeah. But all the way up to 2019, he's he's doing that, and so, and he announced he was working on a new project back in 2016. So, could be at some point in the future that'll. That'll actually see the light of the day. Who knows? Who knows? I like him. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I, I really like the quirkiness of the story. And I feel like I like quirky directors. And so I wouldn't mind seeing another movie by him. I'm, 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 I'm interested to see what he did with Winnie the Pooh. I haven't seen that uh, 2011 Winnie the Pooh. So. Well, we'll see it. We'll see it very soon. Yep, a few months away. So. All right, next month, though, is Bolt. Have you seen Bolt? I have. I saw this in the theater when it first came out. I um, I remember really liking it. We'll see if I still yeah. do. It does star Miley Cyrus. It does. And it's got a lot of a lot of montages. <laughs> but I think for the most part they work. But we'll get into that next next month. All right, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and we are on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. You can also uh, email us if you want to send us uh, Chicken Little merch or uh, <laughs> Meet the Robinsons merch, <laughs> Happy Meal toys, any of it. We'll, we'll take it and put it on our shelves. Uh, we also want to encourage you to set your podcast player's dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. You don't have to just keep looking to the future. We've got a whole back catalog of all sorts of great stuff. Uh, Michael, I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Albenchofer. Go show them how special you are. <laughs>